Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hi, I'm Alex L. and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey girl. Hey girl. Libby, I am so excited to chat with you. <laughs> well, I'm actually wonderful because I just came back from a beautiful walk. It was cold and windy and beautiful. It's a warm day here. It's over 60 degrees. I just got back from my walk about 30 minutes ago, and I'm feeling really good and proud of myself. Beautiful. And this is walk 88? This is walk 89 for me. As of today, December 17th, I have been walking for 89 days. Well done. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be able to talk with you about your walking practice and how you got to where you are today. It's been so inspiring. Can you please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do? I will. My name is Libby Delena. I have spent my career in advertising as an executive creative director, designer, art director by trade. And what you and I are most likely going to talk about is my walking practice, which I started in 2011, just after I started an agency with some wonderful colleagues and life was lovely and wonderful. I count my blessings, incredibly fortunate. Although one day I was sort of woke up and I realized that a key piece of who I was wasn't part of my daily routine. I'd spent a lot of time in meetings and carpools and errands and so on, all wonderful things. So I decided to commit to going out for a walk every day. And I haven't stopped. It's been 10 years. I am so blown away by your commitment, like not only walking, but like your commitment to yourself. Every time I hear this story about how you got started, I am just floored and amazed. Over the years, it seems like walking has become this meditation or prayer of sorts. And what I'm most curious about is, did it always feel that way? And if not, when did the practice start to evolve into something more mindful? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. And I will say that in many ways, when I started, I wouldn't have used any of that language. That being said, that's profoundly what it was. It was a prayer. It was an act of self-care. It was an act of meditation. I can honestly say that I perhaps wasn't aware that that's what it was for several years. In the beginning, it was simply a gesture. I'll say thoughtful, not even mindful, thoughtful gesture to remind myself who I was when I was 10, 11, 12, and 13 and happiest, which was outside, literally just being outside. Mm -hmm. And the attempt was to create space to make time, not find time, but commit to making time to just be outside. And it wasn't about how many miles or how many steps. It was really to see a sunrise, which is where I'm happiest, to see the rainfall, to feel the wind. I spent a lot of my youth 
out in the wilderness backpacking and all that kind of stuff and it just was no longer part of what I did each day so I can say that it was probably I would say at least two or three years until I sort of realized I don't think I had the language honestly Alex in fact your practice of watching you begin to walk several months ago has helped me shape my language around it I think I was naive to the sort of radical of it in its simplicity. So I was just really happy to be outside. I think I've learned over the course of the last five or six years that it's much more than simply putting one foot in front of the other. It's much more than, you know, a mile a morning or five miles a morning. It is, in, in fact, as you said, a, you know, a prayer to the day, honestly, the morning. So for folks unaware, Libby has a book out and it's called Do Walk. And I stumbled across her book after reading an article about her in Magnolia magazine. And the article was about her walking practice, and it completely transformed my thought process. And I guess it transformed how I looked at walking. Walking, to be honest, kind of felt like a pain in the ass, you know, (laughs) like I have to just do this thing. I have to get to point A to point B. There was no thoughtfulness or mindfulness about it in my life at the time. And so I was at a point where I was at a point in my life when I read that article that I wanted to try to make some changes with like my thought process. And also I wanted to become happier, both emotionally and physically. I felt really foggy and unclear. And I was in this stage of like transformation and searching. And so listening to Do Walk, I mean, I have the book and I've read it, but listening to the audiobook is just amazing. And it put a different level of pep in my step in wanting to try this practice. So I'd love for you to tell me more about the intention behind Do Walk and what you wanted folks to get out of this book, because it's not self-help. It's not a how-to. It's really your experience, right, through walking and sharing your story. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I will say that writing the book was, it was a tricky process for me because as I mentioned, my world has always been the visual. As an art director, that's the space where I lived. And in the advertising world, I'd be partnered with copywriters. I have many dear friends who are extraordinary writers who know how to put together a phrase that is so poetic and beautiful and sings. And I, when I started to think about writing this book, thought, you know, all those things, like, who are you to write this book? And so I actually even started thinking that perhaps the way I would write this book would be to simply put in my earbuds in the morning as I was walking and talk about the process, talk about what I was feeling. And to your point, it isn't really a how-to, although there's some tips about how to dress, how to avoid getting cold, all that kind of thing. But it was meant to be very first-person story, narrative, telling in part because I was fearful of being able to write it in a way that was really beautifully poetic. I didn't have the faith in myself to be able to do that, but I had a dear friend who is an extraordinary writer and she said, simply tell your story. Don't think about writing a book, simply narrate, tell the story of what you've experienced in those 10 years. And needless to say, anybody who does anything for 10 years and is curious about that path, learn something. So my hope is that the book shares some of the learnings along the way that I think 
if I've done my job at all, are not specific lessons, but sort of bigger, holistic ways to think about things. So I hope that's what happens in that book. <laughs> Writing a book is a really brave thing. And I know that imposter syndrome can come up out of nowhere, you know, and it sounds like you had some of that in your process. Can you share a little bit more about being knee deep in the imposter syndrome and what it took to bring Do Walk to the world? Like, how did you push through and have the confidence to tell your story? Yeah, thank you. It's, at the risk of sounding super cliche, honestly, it was step by step. And that's the thing about walking that teaches us that quite honestly, that all you can do is take the next best step, right? So what I did was sit down and write an outline. What um, do I think would be the flow of the book? And literally, I just went piece by piece without, I guess, without judgment is really where the trick was. And I would get up half an hour before my walk, I would sit down and write, and then just really commit to not necessarily going back and trying to fine tune it, just get the story mm. down on paper. It's almost as if I was sitting here telling you about it and just trying to sort of document it. And so the imposter syndrome, I would say never really went away. Mm. But again, the lessons of walking are, you know, really extend beyond the actual walk itself and are applicable to all elements of life. And so I just took the lessons from walking and from my practice and applied it to this new practice, um, this new endeavor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd love to go back now and redo some of it, but, you know, it feels like a wonderful win to get it written and out the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I feel that. Switching gears just a little bit. I'm curious, how has your self-care practice changed over the last five or six years? Because I know you mentioned really starting to make your walking practice more of a mindful experience within the past five or six years. So outside of walking, how else do you nurture yourself and take care of yourself? Yeah, I think the, the real truth of the matter is it's paying attention to what's happening in my thoughts, that the real mm -hmm. self-care is really around what's happening in my thoughts and in what I'm feeling in my heart and in my body. And the thing about walking is for me, it connects the two. Mm -hmm. It connects what I'm feeling up in my head. I've made you know, a decision to do something, but my body is telling me, no, don't do it. So one of the things I say in the book is adding motion to emotion helps me resolve it and understand it. So I think my mm -hmm. self-care practice is really identifying when I go out for a walk that sometimes what my head is feeling and what my heart are feeling are different. And it's through the walk that I'm able to align those. So that isn't quite answering your question because you asked outside of walking, but I think it really, for me, really boils down to, you know, understanding that all the thoughts and imposter syndrome and fear and that anxiety that shows up in my body and my head can be nurtured and cared for, for me by walking with that gentle movement by mm. seeing the sunrise. So it is through the walking that the self-care shows up in the rest of my life, if that makes sense, by nurturing and tending to the thoughts that are in my head or the way my body's feeling. It makes everything else around me. I understand it more. I mm -hmm. see it clearly. I, if 
fact, at one point, I remember saying to my colleagues, actually, don't believe anything I say until I go for a walk. And that's <laughs> self-care, right? Like, what do I really feel in this moment? My body's saying something, my head is saying the other, I need to go and get that sorted out. It is with that Honestly, the thing that's so beautiful about walking is it's so gentle. The way you and I are walking is not for exercise or working out per se. It is a gentle, tender, thoughtful process. And I think there's so much self-care in that that is just um, often sort of say to everybody, just go gently, go gently, listen to what you're thinking, listen to what your body's saying. And I know the other thing you and I've talked about is this is an act of self-care for me as a visual person, which is in the walking, I have learned how to truly see, not just look. Yes. So as an art director, as a designer, as a visual person, meaning that I learn most through what I see than what versus what I read, probably. um, It is in those walks that I have trained myself. I have acknowledged, I've learned how to truly see things. And I think I've shared this story with you, which is I take this one walk past this glorious barn. And you can imagine over the course of a decade, what she's done, how she's aged. But I remember early on, I just walked past that barn. I, you know, there's the barn again. Mm -hmm. And slowly, I would turn and see her, see her place in the community, see how she was weathering, how the light looked on her, what the snow did, uh, in a way, honoring her for taking care of the, you know, community dairy cows. And to me, that's an act of self-care too. It's becoming more present to what's around us and truly seeing each other in a different, mm-hmm. in a different way. Speaking of seeing each other, we have something really beautiful going on right now where we have invited our communities to walk with us. Hashtag walk 222. So walk T O 2 And that has been so stunningly beautiful to be able to share this path with so many other women from all over the country, from all over the world, from all different walks of life and ages and races and socioeconomic backgrounds. Like it is a collective of dare I say, healing that's happening. Yes. And think about it. Think, uh, I don't know if I'll get the quote exactly right, but Thich Nhat Hanh, the beautiful Tibetan monk, talks about being mindful of how you put your foot on the earth. And so when we, you talk about this is a community of people who are gently putting their feet on the earth together, mm-hmm. I, mean, I would love to believe that all of us walking gently, seeing each other, is having a healing moment. Yeah. And inviting us to slow down and look, right. And see things. I mean, I was so moved by your book and you've seen the tattoo and I've talked about it on my leg. I have slow down, look up and humbly learn. And I had to narrow it down to those three things because I literally had a paragraph and my tattoo artist was like, Alex, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. And I was like, you're right. But those three things have really moved me to be more present. That's what walking has done for me. And folks always ask, and, I, and we're going to get to this next. I can't wait to hear your reflections on this. But folks always ask, well, what do you do when it's raining? What do you do when it's snowing or windy or 
freezing or it's super hot. And I had that same question when I was first introduced to this practice by you. And as I was listening to the book, I was like, she goes out in the rain. She goes out in the snow. She has not, not walked. Libby has committed to doing this thing, rain or shine. And I want to talk more about that and why you decided to be in your practice in that way. And you often have said to me, the days you don't feel like going are the days you need to go. So can we dive into that a little bit and talk about like why you've decided to like go regardless? Yeah, it's it's such an interesting question. First, I'm going to ask you back why what it was it about it that um, the fact that I walked in the rain and snow that sat with you that way? Because normally when the weather's bad, people are told, stay inside. Don't go. You'll get wet. You'll be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my new favorite quotes by, uh, I think he's an ultra runner, Dean Carnassus, is don't confuse comfort for happiness. So the notion for me, happiness is committing to myself regardless every day. And you and I have talked about this. It doesn't have to be a long walk. I happen to enjoy my long walks, but it could be down to the end of a driveway, down to the end of the block. It could be for 10 minutes. Just get out and commit to 10 minutes. So let's, let's say we go for a walk for a mile. Say it takes 15 minutes, half an hour. The reality is in most cases, even the worst weather for half an hour is completely survivable and actually in some ways really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is on those days where it's in some context hardest. It is on those days where I don't want to go that there is always the biggest lesson or the, in part because as I head out the door, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, look at me. I have committed to myself no matter how hard this is. Mm. So take that lesson of going out in the weather and apply it to other things in our life. You come up against something that's really hard and you you still, you, I am reminded you went for a walk in the bleeping snow and ice the other day. If you can do that, you can show up for yourself honestly with integrity and truthfully in this scenario, whether it's an interaction with somebody or something that's hard. So it is kind of this beautiful training that is step-by-step each day, each raindrop, each snowstorm, each sunny day, that is a reminder of you have what it takes to do the things that feel hard, that your mindset is telling you you can't. I will say also, I go out for about two hours every day. And over the course of 10 years, I have probably, I have a really terrific walking kit, meaning I have a nice raincoat. I know which boots work. So the gear helps. And I would never walk in a scenario that would be unsafe or dangerous. And um, I'm never too far from home where I'm very fortunate to be able to walk home and have a dryer and a warm shower and a hot cup of tea. Mm -hmm. So even if it's uncomfortable, again, if I can get through something that is uncomfortable step by step, I can do that in other aspects of my life. that lesson. And I too have not taken a day off the past 89 days. I have gone in the rain. I have gone 
in the cold, you know, I ordered my raincoat, I ordered my boots and my, you know, my warm socks. And it's become this ritual of self-trust. Like you can do this. Right. Um, and I've cried on walks. <laughs> I've cried not on walks, walking through the mall because I can see the world in a completely new way. And I texted you like, mm-hmm. Why am I crying? Why am I crying? All I'm just teary all the time because I'm I'm paying closer attention right. and being present in this new way. And I'm already a highly emotional person anyway. So now I'm just like a blob <laughs> of emotions and tears. I've been transformed. I'll be 90 days in tomorrow. And it's just like, this is wild. I don't think I've ever stuck with anything this long outside of my career and mothering and work, you know, like I haven't done anything like this in so, so long um, since childhood. And it feels transformative to not quit and to stick with it. I just want to say to you, I'm, I'm really happy for you, honestly, because I, I think that is the lesson uh, as we mm. do this. And it is a radical thing that something so simple can be so transformative. It doesn't take a membership or an expensive piece of clothing or even gear. Um, and if we are truly fortunate to be able-bodied, of which I don't ever not think about, feel very mm-hmm. fortunate, it is an incredible gift that's at everybody's disposal. And it doesn't have to be long in order to reap the benefits, which is amazing. Yeah. So you are anti-anti-aging, your Mm -hmm. age and just everything. Like, I just really think you're a badass and like, you're just awesome. And so I want to talk briefly about your anti-anti-aging thoughts and what you want women to know about the blessing really of, of aging and you know, still being here. Like that's so, like Ryan always says, I just hope I grow old. Like that, that's what he always says. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. Aren't we lucky to be here? One of the things I always, I I think a lot, I think I hold it sort of as a mantra is welcome to right now, Mm. right? Like here we are. How amazing is that? (laughs) So, um, and I think that, you know, that came out of the walking, which, you know, is Welcome to right now. If we really hold on to that, it is profoundly amazing. So I'm 59, about to be 60, which is kind of, it does make me pause. I really, um, it's a significant number. And again, I'm grateful for that. I think the thing that is too bad about the sort of anti-aging conversation is that somehow there's, um, you know, from my industry, the advertising industry, that somehow aging is not desirable. And that's really too bad. I have gray hair. I've had gray hair since I was 30, middle of my 30s. Um, so that notion of aging has been close to me simply because I think when anybody looks at me, they they see age because of my gray hair, but I've had it for decades. And when I was in my 30s, I remember seeing a picture of Jane Goodall And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I want to be just like her. I want to look like her. She is ageless to me. So I have several other women who I hold as icons for Mm. how I want to navigate towards, you know, this part of life. 
I have their pictures up. Uh, Iris Apfel, who um, in her wonderful, iconic, brave fashion, the picture of Lauren Hutton. Now, granted, she's Lauren Hutton, but she has these beautiful, deep wrinkles on her face. And to me, it is, aside from the fact that it's Lauren Hutton, it is the most elegant gesture of self-confidence, quite honestly. I don't mm -hmm. want to not be me. I am who I am. I And so I guess that's sort of the holistic view, which is to be at this age in life is just outrageously awesome and mm. want to be some other age is ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. Now, <laughs> if anybody wants to do something to transform their looks, I, I don't have any judgment around. It's just not for me. And mm -hmm. um, so the notion of age is something I'm exceedingly grateful for. <laughs> mm, I love that. So as we start to wrap up our conversation, I'd love to ask this question and feel free to just take a beat before answering it. If you were mentoring your younger self, what would you tell her and what would you teach her? What is such a beautiful question. I, I'm, and I'm not sure why this is the case. It makes me sort of, I feel that question in the back of my throat, which is interesting. That's an interesting question. I think I would tell her that the intuitive wisdom embedded within her is the path, is the journey, and to mm. trust it and believe it. So there is intuitive wisdom, power, and direction. Yeah, again, to make sure you hear it and honor it. When I was 13, I read a book called West with the Night. It was about a woman named Beryl Markham, who was an aviator flyer over. In, and she, I remember reading it and thinking, oh my gosh, I need to get my pilot's license. I really want to fly. That's what I want to do. And I didn't when I was 13 and 14. It's not that my parents would have said, no, 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 you can't do that. I think I, I listened to the messages of the culture. I listened to the conversations of, and again, it's 60. So let's call it the you know middle 80s of what it's okay for young girls to do or want to do or how to do it. Mm. I think I would have mentored her by saying, let's go get that pilot's license. Let's do that thing that is lighting you up that is instinctually who you are, what makes you feel alive, let's go do that. And I'll stand with a firm hand on your back every step of the way. That's, I think that's where my, my lesson would be, or that's where it would start. Aren't you getting your pilot's license now? Indeed. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend we love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L.